Good morning. How's everybody doing? Really, really, really good to see you this morning. Uh, glad to be here today. Glad you decided to show up. And uh, we're going to be talking uh, some more in Philippians today. That's what you've been in. Uh, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. So uh, your pastor is on, on vacation, and he had asked me to fill in for him. But it's not really a vacation like Dwayne just said. He's, um, you know, doing chores for his mama. So uh, I guess that's a kind of a vacation. Uh, also, by the way, I don't know if y'all know this, uh, Chris Roberts, who was just up here, didn't he and the band do a great job? They did awesome. Um, Chris and April, 23 years married today. Today's our anniversary. And they're doing what adults do. They work on their anniversary and birthday, you know. So that's, what, that's what you do. It's, it was a scandal back when they got married because April was five. And, uh, but, so... Uh, Anyway, really, really glad you're here. So we're going we're gonna to look at Philippians chapter 4. So if you've got a, a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and find, find Philippians chapter 4. And I've got to find my notes here. I was on the wrong page. I was about to preach the last message I preached. That would have been interesting. Philippians 4. And uh, Joseph said, told me when he asked me to preach, I said, what, what do you want me to preach on? He said, uh, we're in Philippians, just do something out of Philippians, anything you want. I said, does it matter if you've already preached it? He said, no, it doesn't matter. So does it matter if you're going to preach it later? No, it doesn't matter. So he's going to preach later on this passage, I'm sure, because he's going through the whole book. So when you get there, just listen again, and he's probably going to tell you something a lot better than what I'm going to say today, and just take notes like you've never heard Philippians chapter 4 before. So today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. I'm just going to look at two verses, verses 6 and seven. So let me start off by reading those to you and follow along with me. You can look on the screen or look on your phone, on your app there, or in a, if you've got an actual Bible with pages in it, you can look there as well. And it says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me pray real quick. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray that as we look at what it says today, that our hearts would be turned to you. And I pray that we would make much of you and, and you would be lifted up. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this is the time of year where uh, graduations, how many of you have been to a graduation in the last week or two or three weeks? Yeah. So I've been to a couple of them in the last month. Uh, my daughter Emily graduated from Charleston Southern a few weeks ago and we were down for that and then this past, yay, yay Emily, that was awesome. And, uh, and then this past Friday, Grace and I went to the Blue Ridge High School graduation to see some of those folks graduate to to celebrate with them. And I love graduations, and, uh, you know, there's always the speeches and, and stuff. I was really impressed. Blue Ridge graduation was like an hour, and the people only gave like five-minute speeches. They didn't talk and talk, which was great. But, but the graduation speeches are always funny because it's launching pad stuff, and this is the first step of the rest of your life, and everybody's got big plans and that kind of stuff, and which is really great, and, and we should do that. You should celebrate and look ahead. But I want to let you in on a little secret, and I know some of you probably already know it, and there might be some of you that don't know it, and it's just going to shatter your perception of, of how the world works. But, but if you don't know this or not yet, life doesn't always turn out the way we planned. I mean, just we have expectations, and very rarely do things live up to our expectations, whether it's a date night, 
you know, for a couple, whether it's a, a, a vacation or, or a new job or a, a, a relationship you're in, whatever it is, oftentimes life doesn't turn out the way we wanted it to. Well, not, not oftentimes, just about 100% of the time it doesn't turn out the way we wanted it to. And sometimes things can get sideways and things can get upside down and, and the next thing you know you're in a situation that you just didn't expect it to be like it is. Well, the, the good news for us today is, is that we have, have this, this book called the Bible. This is not a Bible. This is a notepad that I wrote stuff in. But, but uh, you've got a Bible there. Or you've got a Bible app on your phone. And it's, it's all these, these, these old letters and books and things that were written down by people a long time ago. And, and we believe that it is the actual words of God that God inspired people to write this stuff down. And so one of the things I would like to tell you, I always used to tell you this when I was your pastor, and I want to remind you to take this moment while I'm here today. If you're not reading God's Word every day, I want to tell you that that's the most important thing you could be doing. Uh, I hope you're exercising. That's good for you. I hope you're eating right. I hope you're getting plenty of sleep. But you better put God's Word above even all that stuff. I would rather you read God's Word before you eat breakfast than get up and eat breakfast and then forget about reading God's Word. It's that important because it's the very nature of who God is. He's tell, sharing that with us. And so one of the cool things when you read the Old Testament and the New Testament is these things were written down by these guys who were real people who actually lived. So Moses and David and, and Jeremiah and, and John and Mark, Luke, Paul, when you read stuff written by those guys, they knew, just like you know, that life doesn't always turn out the way we want it to turn out. That there are struggles and there's disappointments. And the other cool thing about God's Word is, is it contains all of these promises about who God is, the nature of who He is, His character, what He has done, what He's going to do. And so, so with that is the basis of what we're talking about today. So, so here, here's the foundation of what we're talking about today, is that life doesn't always turn out like we plan, and God has, given us, has made us promises that we can read in Scripture. A lot of promises about who he is, about how faithful he's going to be, about the things he's going to do. So, so that's the foundation. Now, with that as the foundation of what we're talking about today, that creates a situation that I want us to talk about. And I need a volunteer. So I'm going to ask, uh, Tad, will you come up here, Tad? Tad, this is Tad Roberts, 23 years of marriage, and this is what they get right here. Tad. Come on up, Tad. How you doing? Tad is just recently employed at Chick-fil-A, so he can handle all of your waffle fry needs or uh, cookies and cream shakes. Now, Tad, uh, did we talk before the, the message today? Did you know I was going to ask you to come up? No. Okay, good. Not, this is not a magic trick. I just thought it would be funny to point that out. <laughs> all right, so uh, I'd like for you to put your hands together like this, okay? Put them up like, like you're praying. You do know how to pray, right, Tad? Right. And I'm going to just put that right there. Now, I just want you to slowly just begin to separate your hands. Right, is that as far as you feel comfortable going there? Yeah. Okay. All right, so, so your hands were together, right, before? Yeah. Now, what is this in between here? Air. An air. Yeah, it's a space, right? There's a space now between his right hand and his left hand. Now, this, by the way, this is a rubber band. I don't know if y'all have seen that. Back when people used to use paper, you had these in offices, right? You don't need this anymore. Um, why do you not want to pull your hands apart any farther. 
What's, it's going to break. Why? Because what, there's something here. What is this? This is, this is tense, isn't it? Yeah. There's a tension here, right, between this hand and that hand. This space between your hands has created tension. Now put your hands back together. Do you feel any tension there? No, no, no tension. Okay, let's give Tad Roberts a big hand. All right. Next year, if all goes well, he will be at the Blue Ridge High School graduation. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out. Thank you, Tad. Now, so there's a space there, and there's a, there, that creates tension. I want to I let you in on something today, that God makes promises to us, and we know them to be true. But there is a space between when God makes the promise and then when we see the promise fulfilled. And that space between the time God makes the promise and when we see the promise fulfilled creates tension. And that's the tension that we live in. We live in that tension. And so the space between those two creates a ton of tension for us. Now, the promises from God give us hope, but they also create this tension. And, and the reason why is the promise made today is almost never fulfilled today. So when you read a promise of God, you, you can read it and you can know, I believe this to be true because I know God has been faithful to me in the past. I can read where he was faithful to the people in the Bible times. I know that he's been faithful to my parents. And, and so I can believe that it's true, but it hasn't happened yet. And so there's this thing that, that, that's consuming you that you're thinking about and you want it to be fulfilled. You want the promise to come true. And so you're in the middle of the tension. So, so the, the space between a, a spoken promise and a fulfilled promise creates tension and that's where we live. We live in that tension. Now, now in those times of tension, in those spaces between God making a promise and then the promise being fulfilled... They're full, of, they're full of, of, uh, of difficulty, they're, they're full of hardship, they're, they're full of struggle, they're, they're full of temptation. And so how do we deal with that? Well, the problem is, most of the time, what comes natural to us for how to deal with that tension is usually not good. So if, if during the tension there's, there's temptation... What comes natural to us oftentimes is just to give in to the temptation. Why? Because we feel alone. We feel like God has forgotten us. And so we'll just give in to the temptation, give in to something temporary instead of something eternal because we think this will make me feel better for just a little while. So, so you find yourself, you're taking a Laura tab every day when you don't need it. Or you're, you're looking at that website that if someone checked on your browser history, it would embarrass you. Or you're having that fourth glass of wine at night before you, be, you go to bed. Or you're going online and you're spending a bunch of money on a shopping spree because it just makes you feel better because you're giving in to the temptation. Because you're living in the tension of the fact that, that you're wanting something to happen that you know God has promised but it has not yet come to pass. Or you, or you give up. You give up hope. The struggle is so hard that just, it just gets too hard to believe that God will actually work on your behalf. And you just give up hope. See, one of, the, one of the most common ways that we respond to the tension of living in the space between a promise made and a promise fulfilled is by worrying. That's probably the most common way that we respond to that tension is just by worrying. It, and, and 
Paul said in, in, in verse 6, this is what we're talking about today, Philippians 4, 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. So here, here's the one thing I want you to know today is the space between a promise made and a promise fulfilled is fertile soil for worry. It's fertile soil for worry. Do we have that? Can we put that up? The space between a promise made and a promise fulfilled is fertile soil for worry. If you were going to plant a worry garden, you know, this is time of year we're planting gardens, or you've probably already got your garden in the ground. I got a little garden, and I got some nice tomato plants with, with no tomatoes on them yet, but I'm hoping something will happen, and you've probably got that at your house. And if we're going to plant a worry garden, and you want a, a great harvest of worry this summer, you know what you fertilize that, that, that garden with? You fertilize that, that garden with this tension between the fact that you know God says he's going to do something and you're waiting for him to do it. That is fertile soil for our worry. And here's why it is. What, is, what do you worry about? What are the things that you worry about? Well, you worry about what you care deeply about. The things you worry about most often are the things you care about the most. And so you worry about your marriage, and you worry about your kids, and you worry about having enough money, and you, you worry about your friends' kids, and you worry about your friends' marriages, and you, you worry about the government, and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we worry about things that we care deeply about. In fact, what we do is, oftentimes, is we equate worry with care. So it's almost like we've t told ourselves, well, th to prove that I really care about this, I've got to worry about it a lot. That shows how much I care. If I didn't care about it, I wouldn't worry about it. And so we've created this situation that now the more you care about, the more people you let into your life, the, 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 the more things you're involved in, that gives you more to worry about because now you're caring about more things. And then you're reading the Bible one day and you come on this this. Verse that says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry about anything. And it doesn't seem to make sense to us. Now, um, when Joseph teaches uh, every once in a while, or usually about every sermon I've, I've heard him teach, you know, he'll talk about that this word that we're reading in, in the English Bible that we're using that the, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. The, the New Testament it was written in Greek a long time ago. People weren't writing things in English. So if you grew up reading the King James Bible and your pastor told you that was the Bible Jesus used, he didn't really use that Bible. Uh, Jesus didn't have a Bible. He spoke the Bible, which is pretty cool. And so, uh, so the, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so sometimes I've heard, you know, Joseph speak and he'll say, now the Greek word really means this, and I'm going to actually do that later on in the message today. So, but when I was reading this, this scripture, I thought to myself, okay, so the New Testament was written in Greek. So when Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, I bet anything in the Greek means something a little bit different. Like there's like a loophole in there. So for us as American Christians in the year 2017 with the craziness that we see going on around us and in our lives, it's probably okay to worry about something. And it's probably, there's a Greek verb meaning in there that means a little bit different. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I did study this to get ready for today. And I looked at as much stuff as I could on it. And I'm going to let you in on something. Anything in the Greek means exactly what anything in the English means. 
So when Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, it really means anything. That we're not supposed to worry about our kids. We're not supposed to worry about our marriages. We're not supposed to worry about the government. That, that those things are not supposed to, to just drag us down with worry. And in fact, Paul didn't come up with this idea. Jesus taught it before Paul did. Matthew 6.25, Jesus said this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So when Paul says to us, do not be anxious about anything, he's just continuing a teaching that Jesus had already taught. Now Paul is a great teacher. Here's one reason why you know Paul is a great and wise teacher. A good teacher never tells you just to not do something. A good teacher will say, you don't do this, but here is what you do. You replace what you're doing with a good something, right? What you're doing is not good, you replace it with something good. And so what Paul tells us to do there, Philippians 4, 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We're supposed to replace worry with prayer. Replace worry with prayer. Now, here's the interesting thing about worry, is the more we care about something, we worry about it more. The bigger the problem is, we worry about it more. The longer the space between God making a promise and us seeing the promise fulfilled, we worry more, the tension gets greater and greater, just like when Tad was separating his hands and that rubber band was getting tighter and tighter the further apart his hands were. When God makes a promise and fulfills it, the further away it takes, the tension gets greater, so the worry increases. But the interesting thing about worry is, is it never works. It never works. It doesn't change the situation. It doesn't make anything better. It doesn't make the promise of God get fulfilled faster the more we worry about it. Now, so Paul says what he wants us to do instead of worrying is every time you worry, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God. So he says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And just like the word anything in Greek really means anything in English, the word everything in Greek really means everything in English. So Paul says, if, it, if it's concerning to you, pray about it. Even if it seems small, even if it seems insignificant in, in light of what's going on in the greater world, Paul says, if it concerns you, if you are anxious about it, if it is causing you to worry, you pray about it. You take it before God. And, and all of that is important. It's all important to Him because it's important to you. And so you bring it before Him. That We replace our worry with our prayer. Now, the second thing I want you to know is this, because this is going to move us into verse 7. Prayer is about connecting with God and not just getting something from God. Prayer is about connecting with God and not just getting something from God. Now, you, here's, here's why I pray when, when I'm struggling with something. So when I'm living in the tension between a promise made and a promise yet to be fulfilled, the reason I pray is because I want something done. I want it to be over. I want the tension to be resolved. 
And so I'm asking for a resolution. I'm asking God to do something. I'm asking Him to move. And that's why I'm praying. So I'm asking to get something. And, and that's okay. In fact, Jesus told us when, when, when He was teaching, Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. And he, and he even gives an example. He said, if you're a parent and you know how to give good gifts to your children, don't you think your heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts to you? And so and Paul says there in verse 6, when he says this, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication is a big fancy church word that just means asking. Just asking. So you're asking God for something. But here's the, here's the great thing about coming before God with the things we're worried about and praying to Him, the things that we're anxious about, is that even as we're asking Him for a resolution to the tension in our life, that we get something better that we weren't even expecting. We get a deeper connection with the Father. We get a deeper connection with the Father. Now, if you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus... You're always connected to the Father. You, can, you cannot be disconnected from the Father if you're a follower of Jesus, all right? just want to be clear about that. But when we, when we are involved in prayer and we are taking those requests to Him, that connection becomes deeper. It becomes more real in our lives. We become more aware of it, that it's always there. And so, so this extra blessing that happens when, when we're asking, we're really just asking for something. We just want something to happen is what we're asking for. But then we get this extra blessing of this deeper connection to the Father. And that's what he says in verse 7. So once you're anxious about it and then you begin to pray about it, this is what it says the result is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice what that verse does not say. It does not say that all of the tension will be relieved immediately. It does not say that the thing that you're praying about because you know God's made a promise and you're waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, so you're living in the tension of the moment. It does not say that as soon as you pray about that, the tension is relieved and the pressure's off. See, the tension of waiting is resolved when the promise is fulfilled. And sometimes the promise is fulfilled by the end of the week. Sometimes the promise is not fulfilled for months. Sometimes the promise is not fulfilled for five years, ten years, or even twenty years. And then sometimes the promise is never fulfilled while we're living here on this earth. It's only fulfilled at the end of all things when, when Jesus has come back and changed everything, and taken us home to be with Him. Sometimes that's when the promise is fulfilled. So in the middle of this, we're living in this tension. Maybe a promise that will not be fulfilled on this earth, or maybe one that won't be fulfilled to the end of the week, or the end of the year, or end of 20 years. So when we're in the middle of that, if we're praying to Him, and if we're having that deeper connection, it says the, the bonus that happens for us is this connection with the Father allows us to have a peace even before the promise is fulfilled. See, I know there are things that I'm praying about in my life that I know the moment that the promise is fulfilled and things happen the way that I know they're supposed to happen, I'm going to be at peace about it. But what Paul says is that I can live in peace now even before that happens. Even before the promise is fulfilled, I can live in peace. And that is a peace 
that as I would say in the way I talk, don't make no sense. The way Paul puts it is, he says, it is a peace which surpasses all understanding. I understand being at peace when things get resolved. I understand that. But it's a peace that goes beyond understanding that even before it's resolved, I can be at peace. And that can only come from God. I cannot muster that up within myself. I cannot wake up in the morning and there's a situation in my life that's unresolved that I continue to pray about, that I continue to cry out to God and beg Him for. And if it doesn't happen, I can't say, but today I'm going to be at peace about this. It's no problem. I can handle it. I can never do that. But that can come only from the Spirit of God working in my life. Now, <clears throat> I want to go back one verse uh, that, that I haven't read to you yet. Uh, one of the things about the Bible that's interesting is um, the Bible's a collection of, of documents is what it is. It's letters. We're, what we're reading from Paul in Philippians is a letter that he wrote from prison. Uh, some of it is histories that were written down by Moses about the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, some of it is, is uh, like sermons that were preached by prophets and people were writing that down. And so, so there's all these different documents that came together to, to form the Bible. And, and men who were godly men uh, who were much more wise than I uh, could ever hope to be, they gathered together <clears throat> to determine what would be included in the Scripture and what would not. And, and one of the things that, that the Bible did not have when that was going on is it did not have chapters and verses. That was added later. So it used to be if you were going to read Paul's letter to the Philippians, you would just read it, and if you wanted to say, hey, you remember that part where he talked about don't be anxious about things and a peace of God? Yeah, I don't remember. That's, it looked maybe like the third page halfway down, but they didn't have chapters and verses, and so those things were added in later. Every once in a while when you're reading the Scripture, There'll be a verse that looks like the number, to me at least, looks a little out of place. Like, you know, they probably should have put that somewhere else. And when I say they, I'm, I'm, not, talking about, like, I'm not talking about changing the Word of God. I'm talking about changing the chapter and verse numbers, which is, I don't believe, divinely inspired like the words are. And so uh, one of those, to me, happens in Philippians 4. And so, so we just read Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Philippians 4, 5 says this. It begins by saying this. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then there's a period, right? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone as a period. That's a whole other message. Joseph should spend a whole day on that because, you know, I've been in church work a long time. There's just some unreasonable people that you deal with every now and then. I know it's none of y'all. It's those people that didn't come here today. They're just ridiculously unreasonable. So let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then there's a period. And so it's like, okay, that's an idea that's done and then he goes into the next sentence, and it begins by saying, the Lord is at hand, and then there's a semicolon before it goes into, but in every, you know, do not be anxious about anything. And so, so here's, here's what I want you to know today. That when you're living in that tension between God made a promise, I'm reading this promise in the Bible, and I need it to happen in my life, and I know God made it, but it has not happened yet. It hasn't been fulfilled. When you're living in that tension, I want you to remember the end of verse 5 where Paul wrote, the Lord is at hand. 
And here is something interesting from the language the New Testament was written in. Again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can, I can use the internet as good as y'all can. And uh, this, this is what it says. That the verb there for at hand is the same Greek verb that they would use for the word to squeeze. So when it says the Lord is at hand, we're not just saying the Lord is close by or the Lord is aware of what you're going through or even just that the Lord is holding you gently while you're going through it. It's what he's, Paul's saying there is the Lord has a hold of you and He is squeezing you tight and He is not letting you go. So in the middle of the tension of you waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled in your life, God has a hold of you so tightly that there is no way that He could let you go. The Lord is at hand. I want to finish with a story, a true story. Um, so Awaken Church in Charleston is a church that, that we helped plant, Freedom Fellowship helped plant. We supported them financially for their first three years of existence. Brandon Bowers is the pastor of that church. Brandon was on staff at First Baptist Spartanburg, and, and he left First Spartanburg to, to move back to his hometown of Charleston. He grew up in Somerville, and he moved back to the Charleston area to plant a church to reach people with the gospel. And um, so once, once they got up and running, and, and uh, they had strong, uh, very strong life group, ministry there that's really the basis of everything they do. And, uh, and there was a, a guy who um, had, had grown up in Spartanburg as well and, uh, and had come to the Citadel to go to school and dropped out of school, didn't finish. College just wasn't for him. The Citadel particularly wasn't for him. And, uh, and he, he dropped out, but part of the reason he dropped out too was is he was busy doing a lot of their stuff that wasn't really conducive to studying and, and being responsible. And, and so he just was living a party life. And now he was, now when you think about that, we're not talking about a guy who's unemployed. I mean, he had a job and was making good money, uh, d- doing what he did, had opened his own business, uh, doing some car repair stuff, and, uh, and had more work than he could shake a stick at, but he was also drinking all the time. There was some other drug abuse going on, a lot of substance abuse. There was woman, you know, woman after woman coming in and out of his life and a bunch of party friends and all that kind of stuff. And, and, um, and so, so he was, that was the lifestyle that he was, he was living. And, and through the middle of all that, uh, he, he got involved with a, a girl and, and things there stuck for him a little more than usual. And they moved in together. And, uh, and we're making plans to maybe be married one day. I think she was making plans to be married. He was making plans just to keep doing what he had always done, which was just be with her till he got tired of her. And so they were living together, living this lifestyle. Well, in the middle of all this, she had a great job, and she was worked in the medical industry as a nurse, and, and uh, someone that she worked with was a, a member of Awaken and was a part of a life group and invited her, started inviting her to come knew that from her lifestyle and from everything she said, they seemed to be very far from, from faith and from the church and from the things of God. And so started inviting her to come. And so she finally went just really to kind of get her friend off her back. Well, went and was accepted and loved when she came into these people's house. Now they, and she had said she would never go into a church, but she would go into someone's house. 
And so, so became, you know, started going, well, and then wanted to continue going. So she started asking Stephen, her, her uh, uh, boyfriend, to come with her. And Stephen wasn't interested. Stephen always thought that church was for weak people. You know, faith was for people that couldn't make it on their own. And, uh, and so finally he agreed that he would go, like as I'll go, if you won't ask me to go anymore, I'll go this one time and be done with it. So he went. Well, when he went, the guy who was a life group leader just m- was able to make a connection with Stephen. They had a lot of stuff in common. They both liked cars and they got to talk. And so he said, hey, would, would you mind if I come take you to lunch sometime this week? So Stephen knew this was probably, you know, something to do with really, you're really trying to tell me about Jesus, but I'll take a free lunch. And so he said, sure. So he came and took him to lunch. And so for three days a week, for the next four or five weeks, this guy, with this life group leader would meet Stephen either for breakfast, lunch, coffee. They were getting together at least three days a week and just talking. And of course, they began to share the gospel with him, began to tell him about the love of Jesus. And Stephen gave his life to Jesus Christ. And his wife, or soon-to-be wife, followed shortly after. They were married. They were baptized in that church. Stephen then became, a, uh, became the apprentice for that life group leader. Then he became his own life group leader. And then he became a coach for life group leaders. So he had about 10 life groups under him that he was coaching the leaders of those, of those uh, life groups. And next year, Awaken is going to plant uh, campus in the Somerville area, and Stephen Lodeholt will be the pastor of that new campus. Now, that's an amazing story, isn't it? It's a great story. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a, it's a great story about the power of, of a church that, that's really passionate about reaching lost people. It's a great story about the power of life groups and, and small community. It's all that good stories about all that. But now, here's another part of that that I didn't tell you. Stephen grew up over here at Spartanburg, at First Baptist Spartanburg. Same church that Brandon was on staff at. He was never there when Brandon was there, but he grew up there as a kid. His mother is a faithful member there, serves there, loves Jesus with all her heart. And through the entire time while Stephen was living the life that he was living, his mother was heartbroken over his sin. And she knew the promises of God. She had read them. She knew what the Scripture says about raising a child, and, and, she, and she knew about how she had raised Stephen. And, and so she would worry about that, and then, and then she would be reminded that, no, I need to replace my worry with prayer. So when she would worry, she would pray. And then when she would worry again, the next day she would pray. And this went on and on and on. And last fall, I got to meet Stephen's mother. And we were sitting there eating Uh, at a seafood restaurant in Charleston, and and the guy that I was with, he asked her, he said, how long did you pray for Stephen? And she said, I lost track of how long it's been. She said, it's been years. And he said, why did you keep praying? She said, because I knew that God would hold up to his word. I knew that he would fulfill his promise. And he did. He did. I want to tell you today that I know life doesn't turn out the way we want it to. And that we live in the tension between reading the Bible and knowing the promises of God and then waiting to see those fulfilled. That when you're in the middle of that tension, understand the Lord is at hand. He has you in His hand. 
He is not letting you go. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Take your request to him. I'm going to close with a prayer. Let me say this, too. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, then you do have a reason to be fearful. The peace of God is not on your life. That comes through a relationship with him. If you want to know how you can have that peace, I would love to talk with you when the message is, uh, when the uh, service is over. I'll be just right over here. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true. I thank you that even when we don't understand it all or when we don't see evidence of it in our life all the time, we know you haven't forgotten us. I pray today that we would all be encouraged by that. Um, remind us that none of us have it all together, that we're all just regular folks doing our best to understand who you want us to be. And this week when we go to work, we go to the places we'll be, remind us over and over again that you're with us and that you love us. And so we can have peace in the midst of our tension. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.